You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. at Psalm 34 this afternoon, we're looking at, friend, this is our Heavenly Father's love toward you. This is what uh, our Heavenly Father's love toward us is like. And my aim and prayer for us, we might take on His steadfast love for us so that we might trust in it, so that we might find our hope and our joy in it, and so that we might grow to live in the fullness of it. I mean, think about this for a moment. How would your lives I mean, how would our lives look different if we began to live in the fullness of God's steadfast love for us? And I hope to uh, show you from Psalm 34 that, um, that the steadfast love of God, it makes us humble and honest about our fears, and it has the power to release us from our fears. So we're going to take a look at God's steadfast love um, in the midst of our it's a particular angle that we want to look at this afternoon. So I want us to look at three things. Um, first, the reality of our fears. Second, the response to our fears. And third, the remedy from our fears. I actually I forgot to submit a, um, submit a slide presentation for us. So I think it'll be helpful if you just kept your Bibles open. We're going to just refer to a couple of passages in Psalm 34. So again, we're going to look at the reality of our fears the response to our fears, and lastly, we're going to look at the remedy from our fears. So first, the reality of our fears. Um, David wrote Psalm 34 when God delivered him from one of the most dangerous and fearful situations in his life. And uh, we are actually given the context of this psalm. Uh, At the beginning of Psalm 34, the heading says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So, friends, here's, here's the scene that's, that, that took place in David's life. David was on the run for his life because King Saul was out to kill him, out to murder him. Kingdom of Israel was being transferred over from King Saul to King David, and King Saul would have none of that. So of all the places that David could flee to and run to for safety, he fled to a, a, a city called Gath, which is a Philistine city. This is all from 1 Samuel chapter 21. But, but Gath wasn't just any Philistine city. Gath was the hometown of their warrior hero, Goliath, whom David killed in battle. You guys remember that story from a story, David and Goliath. So David entered the city of Gath. Um, and, and obviously, the people recognized him right away because this is the one that killed their champion and killed their warrior. So they began to say, and, and they report this to their king, and they say, man, is, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances, saying, Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And this is what First Samuel 21 verse 12 says. David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And at that point, David was captured 
and he was brought into the presence of his enemy, the king. Um, and um, if you kind of imagine, enter that story with me in your imagination and, and think about what is taking place here, you can, um, it doesn't, it wouldn't take much for us to, to, to imagine that the fear and the terror um, that David must have felt. I mean, what could he do at that point? Of all the cities that he could, fled, he could have fled to, he flees to Gath and he is captured and arrested and he's brought before his enemy king. I mean, what could he do? I mean, what would you have done? But this is what David does. David, out of sheer just terror and desperation, David pretends to have gone insane. David pretends to have gone mentally checked out, and he starts making marks on the doors and on the gates with his fingers, and, and he allowed his saliva to drip down his beard. I mean, it's, 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 it's an act of sheer desperation and terror. But the crazy thing is, friends, it worked. It worked. He pretended he was nuts. He pretended he was insane. And King Achish, his enemy, fell for it. And he says to his servants, man, don't I have enough crazy people in my life that you will bring this man before me? I mean, get him out of my presence. I'm, I'm sick of crazy people constantly coming up to me. Get him out of here. So King Achish should have killed David. Not only for himself, not only for his throne, but for his people who witnessed um, David kill their warrior champion Goliath. He should have put him to death in that moment. But, I mean, it, I don't know. King Achish just said, get this man out of here. This guy is insane. I don't need more insane people in my life. So instead of taking revenge on David, King Achish sends him away from his presence. And Psalm 34 is David's reflection of this incident. Now, the question for us, at least one of the questions for us is, I mean, what are we to make of this situation? I mean, what, what the, the moral of the story and the moral of the psalm can't just be that desperate situations calls for desperate measures, although I'm sure at times that could be true. But that can't be the point of Psalm 34. That can't be the moral of this experience for David. And I believe there's something far more deeper, something far more profound that we are being invited into. You see, psalms have the ability to give voice and language to our emotions. Psalms have a way of expressing or giving words to our cries and our longings of our souls. That's why often the Psalms are prayers, and they are songs, and they are petitions, they are pleas, and they are cries, and they are celebrations. In other words, in the psalm, in the Psalms, we are invited and given permission to just simply let it out. To let out our raw and honest emotions. And particularly in Psalm 34, we are invited and given permission to be honest and raw about our fears. Whatever they may be, we're given permission to be honest and raw about our Fears. Listen to David's words in verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried, 
This poor man is himself the one who pretended to be insane, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David is given permission, and David is invited to express his fears. And, and I, I don't know about you, but for me, this is actually very, very refre- refreshing and life-giving. Um, I grew up in a um, Korean-American home and a Korean-American church context, and at, at, a, at a young age, I was um, told by my parents, I was taught not to air my dirty laundry out into the public. I was, I was taught to be hush-hush about, uh, about some of the struggles that I was going through or even my family was going through to never talk about it outside. And one of the reasons was we don't want to be a burden to other people. That's kind of the culture of, of my family and of my church. That where, that's where I grew up, and, that, and I began to really believe that. So, so, so to think that Psalm 34 and the rest of the Psalms is inviting us to just let it out, is inviting us and giving permission to be honest and raw about our emotions and our longings and our desires and our cries, I mean, for me, it is very, very refreshing and life giving. For God's word to give me permission to speak openly and freely and honestly, um, it's, it has been changing my heart. And just in case we are tempted to think that we can only be honest after we've gone through our chi- trials, after we've gone through our fears and there's been some resolutions, David writes these words in Psalm 56, which was written at the time when he was actually in the presence of, um, of, the king, uh, of king Achish and in the, in, in the city in, in Gath. He writes in Psalm 56, it's the same incident, but before he was delivered, he writes this, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. This is all present tense for David. David was in the thick of his fears and troubles. Again, Psalm 34 is giving us an invitation to be honest and raw about the reality of our fears. But this is not just David's words. Psalm 34, um, along with the rest of God's word, is, it's, it's God's word given to us and given for us. So through David's experience and reflection, God gives to us the very words to express our fears so that in honesty and in humility, we can give the words back to him. Friends, I believe this is God's expression of his love and care for us. And think about it. Why do we give the words back to him? I mean, Psalm 34 and the rest of Scripture that we have in our hands is God's word given to us and for us so that we can use those words to offer our fears and offer our doubts and offer our worries, offer our anxious thoughts, even when we feel like we can't really articulate what we're scared of, what we're anxious about. We use God's word to express all that is inside of us back to him. But why do we give those words back to him? Verse 18 says this, Because the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Dear friends, it is our honesty and our humility 
that draws God near to us. That's why we offer these words back to him. You see, God is never, ever naive about the presence and the reality of our fears, of the fears that surround us. So let me ask you this afternoon, when was the last time you were honest about your fears? When was the last time you were honest about your fears? If you're like me, you've been taught to just just keep it at bay. Or maybe there's just too much shame. Maybe there's just too much guilt, too much pressure. And, and maybe for some of us, we've never seen good examples of someone being honest about their fears. But the good news of the gospel is that when we are honest and raw about our fears, that, that is what draws God near to us. That is what draws us near to Him. In what ways, maybe as you reflect on Psalm 34, in what ways is God giving you not only the courage, but the very words to be honest with Him about some of your fears this afternoon? Maybe some of you are fearful and filled with dread and terror because there are people and there are circumstances that are actually against you. And these people and these circumstances actually want to see you fail and fall. Or maybe for some of of you, um, your marriage isn't doing so well, and you're fearful of what your marriage can turn out to be in the next five to ten years, what your marriage would look like, what your family would look like in five to ten years. Or maybe some of you have children that are not walking with the Lord. Maybe you have parents that are not walking with the Lord. Maybe you have dear friends and dear siblings that are not walking with the Lord. Maybe some of you fear loss of security, loss of reputation. Maybe some of you fear not being enough, not having enough, not measuring up to certain standards and expectations. Maybe you fear what others think about you. Maybe that's your fear. Or maybe you fear your health failing. Or maybe um, you're witnessing your loved ones suffer, and, you know, whether physically or emotionally or spiritually, you're witnessing them suffer in ver- with various trials, and you are fearful. Dear friends, we all struggle with fear. So what are you afraid of this afternoon? What are you, what are the circumstances that you are afraid and and scared of? We are invited by our Heavenly Father to name our fears and to bring them before His presence. And it it is out of His kindness, compassion, and care that He gives us the words, the very words to use to express our fears back to Him because He is near to the brokenhearted, and he is near to the crushed in spirit. But not only does God give us words to our fears, he also gives us a way to respond to our fears. And that's the second point, gives us a way to respond to our fears. You see, we respond to the presence and the reality of our fears um, by not fearing the circumstances themselves, but by fearing the Lord instead. 
You see, listen to verses 8 to 10 one more time. David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord. Not the circumstances, not his particular situation. He says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Friends, here's the thing about our fears. Our fears have a way of commanding our attention and our reverence. When we are struck with fear, we pay attention. For some of us, everything stops. Depending on what that circumstance, what that fear is, things stop. Things, pause, things, things are on pause because fears have, our fears have a way of commanding our attention and our reverence. Our fears have a way of captivating our minds and our hearts, and they have the power to shape the decisions that we make in response to those fears. And our fears have a way of reminding us more often than not. Dear friends, listen very carefully. Our fears have a, re- a way of reminding us that more often than we think, friends, we are not in control. Fears have a way of doing that, and it's good at it. They have a way of reminding us that we are not in control. More often than we think or more often than we hope, we are not in control. So instead of fearing the circumstances, David says, fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means that we give more and more of our attention and our reverence to our Heavenly Father instead of our circumstances. We allow Him, we allow our Heavenly Father, His goodness, His character to captivate our minds and our hearts, and we allow Him to shape the way we respond to our fears. We allow His thoughts to matter far more than anyone or anything else. Fear of the Lord reminds us that though we might not be in control, we know the one who is completely and totally in control. And listen to what one commentator says. He says, There is one behind the scenes, very much in touch with what is going on, and he sees far more of our situation than we are aware of ourselves. Can I read that one more time? There is one behind the scenes, very much in touch with what is going on. His eyes see far more of our situation than we are aware of ourselves. To fear the Lord is an invitation to believe and trust that we will lack no good thing when we fear Him and when we take refuge in Him and when we focus less and less on our circumstances. According to David, even a young lion, I mean, picture this with me, even a young lion, the greatest uh, and, and the most sufficient of all animals, they even go hungry. But those who trust, those whose trust and safety and security and refuge are in God will find that they lack nothing. But David's invitation isn't just for us to merely believe in this principle or in this truth. But his invitation for us, again, um, in in, in verse 8 to 10, is to taste and see that the Lord is good and that he makes good on his promises. 
You see, we were never created to merely believe in a truth statement or even a proposition. Um, We were never created to merely believe that he is good and kind and loving. Friends, we were created to experience his goodness and his kindness and his love. To taste his goodness, kindness. And the thing is, um, sometimes it takes fearful situations. Sometimes it takes suffering and affliction and moments of fear to bring that tasting and seeing about. Sometimes it takes suffering and affliction and moments of fear for us to experience and taste and see that he actually is good and that he makes good on his promises. Um, I don't remember exactly, but I think this was um, my junior year in high school. Um, I, I grew up in New York, um, and I grew up in um, kind of a, um, I mean, it's, it's a residential um, you know, part of New York. Um, I grew up in Staten Island. Uh, it doesn't look like Brooklyn or Manhattan. It's, it's kind of more um, suburbs type. Um, um, during my, one of those um, days during my junior year, I had gone out to, to Manhattan to just kind of meet up with some folks and have, have a meal and stuff like that. Um, and for me to get into Manhattan and even to come back, I would have to take um, like the city bus. Um, I would have to take the ferry that, because I lived in an, on an island, so I had to take the city, I, I had the ferry across the, the river to get to Manhattan and, and the subway and all that stuff. Um, I was on my way back from meeting up with a, f- a couple friends and, and having a meal, and it was somewhat late in the night, not too late. I, I think it was about maybe 11 or 12 at, at night. I was on my way back, and um, the, the ferry that was going to take me from Manhattan to Staten Island was, was completely empty. Uh, there was, it, was, it was just too late. I, I believe it was a weekday, so um, you know, uh, there's really nobody around. Um, so basically, I, I walked into the ferry, and I walked to the top floor, um, and I pretty much had the top, entire top floor to myself. Um, and I was just kind of checking my um, wallet. I was checking my, you know, pockets and stuff like that. And I was just counting, you know, some, some change, like some loose um, money that I had left over. And I was just kind of looking. And um, I, just, I just happened to notice uh, two men walk at, right at that time, two men walk up the stairs. Okay? Um, but it's, it's the ferry. They're going to Staten Island. It's not a, it's not a big deal. So I, I just don't think make much of it, they come up the stairs and they sit maybe about 50 feet away from me in that ferry. Again, I don't think, I don't, I don't think much of it. The ferry is, is about to dock onto Staten Island, so you know, I, I get downstairs and just kind of get ready to get off the ferry. Um, and I notice again the two same men walk down um, and they're now about maybe 10 feet behind me just wait. And, and to me, I'm like, Okay, the ferry is about to dock, so they're get, they're waiting to get off the boat. So I, it just just kind of skips my mind. I don't I don't think much of it. And again, we're like the only you know five or ten people on the boat, so you know whatever. Um, the ferry docks, and I I walk towards the bus that I'm supposed to take, um, and I'm just like I'm just walking, and and I and I'm like looking at things, and I notice from the corner of my eye the two men are following follow like we're on the same same track. I'm like. You know, taking the same bus, right? But, uh, but to, be, to be very honest, that's when I started getting a little bit anxious, like, but they're taking the same bus. It's okay, <laughs> right? 
So I go, um, and on that, um, where the bus terminal is, there's like strips of buses because there are multiple buses going to different places, right? So my bus is the farthest end, so I make my way and get onto that bus, thinking to myself, there is no way, there is no way, right? What are the chances? No way that they're coming to the same place. Lo and behold, the two men get on the bus. Okay, and at this point, like, if my anxiety was like 10% before, my anxiety is about 40% now. I'm like, something, like you just kind of have this instant, something's about to go wrong, right? I just kind of feel it in my gut, but, you know, I'm like, okay, they're just going to the same, they're on the same bus, right? I'm just trying to believe that. Um, and the bus takes off. The two men are sitting way in the back. And this is when I realize, okay, something is about to happen. Something bad is about to happen. One of the men, okay, bus is empty with only three people on that bus, okay? There are lots of seats. Two men were sitting in the back, and all of a sudden, one man, uh, one man sits right behind me. And I just, I just feel the air, okay? I, so sits right behind me. He reaches across, and he opens the window, and my heart just sank. I'm like, oh, no. Like, no. Like, I can't. You know, like, I know something bad is about to happen. Okay? Now, I didn't have, I don't, I didn't have a lot of money. I, I remember, I, I, I don't think I had a lot of money. But um, something you have to know about me is um, I, I have this gold chain. Okay? I've had it since my high school um, days. My mom had given it to me when I entered freshman year in college, uh, high school. Um, this chain is very, very precious to me. I could remember probably only once or twice that I've taken this chain off in my entire life since I, since I had it. So it's kind of gross, but I mean, this is, you know, this is... Um, so more than anything, I'm like, oh, I really don't want to lose my chain. Like I, you know, and um, so in that moment, with that, in, that fear and terror in the pit of my stomach, I did the only thing that I knew how to do at that point in my life. I just prayed. I just, I just cried out for help. God, this is not the way that I want to go home to you. You know, um, um, you know, God, you know, though my heart and my flesh may fail, but please, you know, save this gold chain somehow. Like, I, you know, I, like I just... You know, not obviously not audibly, but in the pit of my gut and pit of my soul, I'm just crying out for salvation. I'm crying out for deliverance. I'm crying out for protection. God, just save me, please. And I can't, I, I really can't make this up, right? I see my bus stop like about, I don't know, a little bit away. I, I see it. And I know that that's where I need to get off. And here's what I see. As I look at my bus stop, here's what I see. A, a New York City police officer had pulled somebody over literally right after my bus stop. He, uh, uh, cops had pulled somebody over literally right after my bus stop. I can't make that up. So, I mean, and, and, and to, t you know, to make the long story short, I, I'll just say the, the cops actually gave me a ride home that night, even though they weren't supposed to. <laughs> and I know some of you might be thinking, just 
It's just random coincidence, right? Um, respectfully and gladly, I will disagree with you for all of eternity. <laughs> you will never, ever persuade me otherwise. Because that moment has become a great story in my life. And it will be a great story that I will remind myself time and time again when I face afflictions, when I face my fears. It's, it's a moment that's been etched into my mind and my heart that I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I have experienced the rescuing power and the intervening grace of my heavenly Father. I have seen the one behind the scenes who is very much in touch with what is going on, and his eyes in that moment saw far more of my situation than I was aware of myself. And friends, because of that moment, I love him so much more. You see, it's, he uses moments of suffering and trials and afflictions in order that we might taste and see that he is good that we might not just believe it in our heads, but that we might taste and see that he is actually good and that he is actually trustworthy. And, you know, and, and future deliverance and, and rescue may not come when I uh, want it to come or how I want it to come, but at least, at least I can trust him. At least I, I can trust that he is up to something good. At least I can trust him um, that he is for me and not against me. Friends, fear of the Lord has a way of pushing out all other fears. Fear of the Lord has a way of creating less and less space for all other fears because the spaces of your mind and your heart are occupied by His goodness and His care, His faithfulness, and His steadfast love. And this leads, to my, leads me to my final point, um, and I'll make this quick, the remedy from our fears. How can we be so sure? How can we be so confident that God is up to something good? How can we be uh, confident of God's goodness and care for us, especially in seasons of fear and in seasons of affliction? And honestly, I don't think we have to search um, far and wide. Um, we only need to look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 with me. David says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That points me to my Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the ultimate righteous one he, who endured many afflictions and who endured many situations of fear. He was trampled upon, upon by men. He was oppressed and attacked. He was mocked insulted, spat upon, ashamed, beaten, and ultimately put to death on a cross. He was an innocent man dying a criminal's death, bearing the weight of our sin, shame, and guilt. And there on the cross, he was left abandoned. But, to, but make no mistake, Jesus' life was not taken from him. Rather, he offered it up willingly and gladly so that we would never be left abandoned in our afflictions and our fear. So that when we cry out for deliverance and rescue, it will never fall on deaf ears. The cross of Jesus Christ has secured God's steadfast love for us. 
And because the righteous one died the death that we should have died, we have, bec- we have become the righteous one in his eyes and in the gospel in order that what David says will be true of us in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Jesus Christ, the life that he lived and the death that he died and the life that he rose to again, he secured that for us. That God's ears and his eyes are toward us. And there on the cross, God's steadfast love, his unwavering, unfailing, faithful, constant, committed love was displayed for all the world to see. And for all those, who, all those in Christ to trust in it, to find joy and our hope in the midst of our fears, and that we might grow to live in the fullness of it. Friends, oftentimes... And maybe even more often than we would like. It's going to be through our fears and our troubles and our afflictions that we get to taste and see the steadfast love of our Heavenly Father for us. Brothers and sisters, wherever you are in your life this afternoon, may you fear the Lord above all else, especially in seasons of suffering and fear. May you trust in his goodness toward you in Christ. May you use the words in Scripture, in the Psalms. May you use his words um, to honestly and humbly enter into his presence as you express your desires and your longings and fears back onto him. And more and more, may his steadfast love drown out all other voices and all other noises of fear to his glory and for our joy and for the good of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Friends, I'm, I know that I, um, I had my um, congregation in mind as I preached this message, and, and I know that in preparation for today, I, I picked this message out of my file. But friends, I am trusting and believing that in God's infinite wisdom and grace and love for you, that this message actually was, this psalm was actually set aside for you for this particular season of your life. I'm going to choose to believe that today. So I want to ask you, what are your fears today? What are your fears today? What are your worries? What are your anxieties? If you were given a pen and a paper this very moment, what would be the cries of your heart? What would be the cries of your soul? And as you express that to him, may you be reminded of God's steadfast love for you. He is committed to you for your good. So there's nothing that you need to hide from him. There's nothing that you can't say to him. He is committed to you, dear friends. Why don't you just take a moment to, to give his words back to him. I'll give you guys a moment to pray.